passage of Scripture, the story that we are going to look at today in the sermon is uh, being looked at by uh, thousands of churches worldwide this morning. Uh, according to the worldwide church calendar, February 23rd, 2020 is Transfiguration Sunday. And, uh, the, the, and we don't typically follow the church calendar except on big days like Easter and Christmas. But there are many churches that organize their, uh, their Sunday services around a worldwide church calendar. And because we do our own sermon series, we don't uh, typically follow this. Uh, but today's sermon will uh, be on the transfiguration. And that is not intentional to line it up with the ch- uh, church calendar. Uh, that just happened to, to take place. And I say happen loosely because I have to believe that, that it, the Lord is behind that. Uh, I didn't find out this was Transfiguration Sunday until the message was written this Sunday. And uh, so whenever I hear little things like that, I always have a sense that maybe God has something special in mind for us. That maybe He has uh, ordained this and worked this out so that uh, He has a special message for you and I today. And so uh, that's, that's just my little, that's my little sense in my heart this morning that, that this sermon has a, uh, an application, maybe specifically for you, and uh, God has something that He wants to say to your life that hopefully will come out as we look at the transfiguration. The story of the transfiguration takes place on a mountain. And uh, just even that ought to get our attention. So many times the acts of God, the major things uh, throughout scriptures take place on, the, on a mountain. And uh, now uh, Jesus... And three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and someone already asked me this morning, I told them what I was preaching on, and the first question he asked is, why the three? Why not all 12? Or why not all of Jesus' followers? I have no idea. But it's Peter, James, and John, and Jesus going up the mountain to pray. And that's the setting that is before us. There is an anticipation, even as they go up to pray, that something great is going to happen. Now, Jesus and his three uh, disciples are exhausted by the steep terrain as they make their way up. You can sense that all four of them are tired. In fact, uh, we're going to read the passage in a moment, but let me just read one sentence Uh, This story is going to be found in Luke chapter 9, and verse 32 tells us that Peter and his companions are very sleepy. And uh, it's been a long season of ministry. They've done a lot. uh, It's been one thing after another for several years. But But I have to believe that it's not just physical exhaustion, it's spiritual and emotional as well. And some of us can relate to that. There are times in our lives where we just feel worn out, like there's nothing left in the tank. They're tired out. And uh, and part of the reason why they may be, part of the reason I think they may be spiritually and emotionally exhausted is because of what has just happened. In the previous passage, Jesus has predicted for the first time to them that he would suffer and die. 
In verse 22, it says, uh, Jesus said, uh, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And this was, this was uh, big news for the disciples. In fact, some of them couldn't even handle this news. And uh, Peter turns and says, Lord, no, not on my watch. May it never be. And with that word, Jesus turns and says, Get behind me, Satan. And all of this news comes at them, and it's almost too much to take. And surely they're physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted. There seems to be even a little uh, relational rift here. And you can imagine that as they make their way up to uh, the, the mountainside with heavy feet, the, they kick up dust along the way and, uh, and until they finally reach what Jesus says is a good spot, and Peter and James and John uh, find, I imagine they find a place just comfortable enough, the best they could on the mountain, to be able to find a place to uh, rest as Jesus goes on to, uh, goes a little farther ahead to pray. And Peter, James, and John, if you give them 15 minutes, they're going to be sawing logs, and uh, they're exhausted and before their eyes are completely uh, shut, something catches their attention. Something that they have never seen before. In fact, something that has never been seen in the history of the world. Something that, that uh, if they were tired before, all of a sudden all sleepiness has left their body in an instant. In a moment, they are more wide awake than if someone took a cold, cup of cold water and splashed it in their face. And they look before them and Jesus is transfigured. Uh, Mark, Mark says that his clothes look like they, were, they are uh, whiter than they could be bleached white. And Matthew does even better. He says that Jesus shines like the sun. But Luke gets the best description. Luke says that his clothes look like a flash of lightning. And with that image, you can begin to imagine just the glory that is radiating from Jesus in this moment. How many of you have ever witnessed a lightning storm? You see the, you see the, uh, the lightning uh, dance across the sky from one end to the next, and some comes down and it hits the earth, and you just, and, and, a, and a, a big lightning storm, there's almost nothing that could be more awe-inspiring. And you just watch it and you're like, wow, that is awesome. Did you see that? That was fantastic. One time I was uh, riding in a plane and uh, there was a lightning storm. I don't know how long, I, I'm no judge of distance, but it looked like it was not too far away. And uh, so we're up at, what is a plane? 35,000 35, feet or whatever that however high a plane uh, flies. But uh, I'm looking out the window, and it's the most magnificent thing I had ever seen. Just uh, the shots of lightning from one end to the next. And I couldn't help but think, wow, this is spectacular. And now uh, Jesus stands before Peter, James, and John. And it's not just a flash of lightning. It is like lightning is glowing from his body. And they see him in all of his glory. And he's transfigured from uh, before their eyes, and they, the, they had never seen anything like it. And, it. and it causes me to pause and just to ask a question. What if we were to really see Jesus in all his glory? 
what difference do you think that it would make in your life? You know, I've thought about that for my, for my own life. We, we wrestle with sin. We struggle to have our priorities right. And uh, we, we, uh, we let things get before our relationship. What if in a moment we were to see Jesus in all his glory, like he's radiating like lightning before us? What difference would that make? I've got two application questions for today. I always like to give application questions that you can take home and you can think about and you can discuss and you can gather with your growth group. And these type of questions are so much better if you take a moment and you discuss them with a good friend or you discuss, discuss them with a group. Uh, this is the first one I want to give us at, get it uh, to us at the front end. And that is, what if you were to see Jesus in all his glory? How would your life change? I think our lives would change radically. Temptation wouldn't be nearly as attractive if we had really seen how beautiful Jesus is. And it wouldn't be nearly as hard to keep our priorities straight if we saw how glorious Jesus really was. And we'd probably handle trials and difficulties with a, with a, take them in stride a lot more if we knew how powerful and holy God was and how sovereign he, he is. And so my hope is that as we look at the transfiguration, that our lives might be changed a little bit along the lines as well. We can't be transported to experience the events but we want to use our imaginations to see Jesus transfigured so that we might be transformed, so that we might be changed from the inside out. So that is the set the scene. Now the story itself takes place in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Let's read this together. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus had said this, so about a little over a week after, what did he say? I already uh, mentioned that uh, he had predicted his death, that he would suffer at the hand of the elders and that he would be betrayed and that he would be put to death in a, in a Roman execution of crucifixion on the cross. After eight day, uh, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. What's interesting here is that word for departure is actually the Greek word for exodus. Uh, and they're, they're speaking of an exodus, his, his, his death. But also, remember, that he's talking to Moses. They're speaking of, of God's salvation. They, and so they spoke about his exodus which was about to bring which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem Peter and his companions were very sleepy but when but they when they became fully awake they saw his glory and the two men standing with him as the men were leaving Jesus Peter said to him master it is good for us to be here let us put up three shelters one for you one for Moses one, and one for Elijah and then as, and then just 
Luke adds his own little parenthetical uh, sentence here. He did not know what he was saying. In other words, he had no idea what to say. So he says, let's put up three shelters. This will be, and as if he doesn't know, this is a good thing. Hey, master, it's good for us to be here. Let's uh, put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, in other words, while the words were still on his lips, a cloud, came, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice uh, came from heaven saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found Jesus that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept them to this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. And so Jesus, in his transfigured state, is joined there by Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger uh, at least in the minds of these three men who grew up in uh, the ancient traditions of Israel and had been told stories from when they were little boys, it doesn't get any bigger than Moses and Elijah. Have you ever played the game where they say, hey, you could have lunch with anybody in the world, past, present, uh, dead or alive, you could spend an hour with anyone, and who comes to your mind, who would you love to spend an hour with? I have to imagine that Peter, James, and John would have maybe come up with the answer of Moses and Elijah. These guys were like heroes of the faith. These were the type of guys that when you were a little eight-year-old boy, you, act, you asked for their action figure for your birthday. I mean, these are the type of uh, guys that they dreamt about uh, go, growing up and as they, uh, became, as they became uh, older and s- sought to follow the Lord. So many heroic acts. I can imagine little uh, boy Moses with his, or little boy Peter with his Moses action figure in uh, reenacting Moses as a, as a little baby and being given uh, all, when all of the b- babies were uh, being killed in Egypt, his mother placed him in a wicker basket and, and, uh, and Pharaoh's daughter heard the babies crying in the, in the reeds and had some of her servants go and fetch him. And so Moses was brought, and all the other kids his age were killed at that time, but Moses was brought up as a prince in Pharaoh's palace. And, uh, and then as he comes of age... Uh, he's out watching what's going on in the kingdom, and he notices that there is an Egyptian beating an Israelite, one of the Israelite slaves, and, and all of a sudden it dawns on him, and he looks at his own skin, and he looks at the facial figure, facial features of the person, of, the, of these two characters, and he, real, and he recognizes, I look more like the one being beaten than the one doing the beating, and he's filled with rage, and he goes off and he kills the Egyptian, not thinking anyone had seen him, but there's someone hiding off, in the, off to the side, and it's, and it's revealed he's in big trouble, and he makes a run for it. And he's wandering the wilderness as a shepherd, as a nomad, taking care of sheep, knowing that he can't go back to where he grew up. When he notices in the distance there's a bush, but this bush is not like the other burning bushes that you would notice out there. This bush doesn't seem to burn up. And so he makes his way there and he hears the voice of the Lord, Moses, take off your sandals for the ground that you are standing on is holy ground and 
Moses takes off his sandals and he bows before the Lord and God says, you're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to deliver my people from slavery. And Moses begins to uh, come up with all kinds of excuses of why he can't do that. Uh, I can't go back. Me not talk good, no speaking good. And, uh, and, and God says, no, uh, it won't be your words It'll be my words, and he gives him a staff that when he throws down, turns into a serpent. I mean, can you imagine little Peter playing with Moses, the action figure? This is where it gets exciting. And, uh, and, and Moses goes uh, before Pharaoh, and he says, uh, let my people go. And again, one refusal after another, and one plague after another, until finally Pharaoh says, enough is enough. The plague that did him in was all of the uh, firstborn children of the land were put to death except for those that had the blood of the lamb painted on their doorpost. And Pharaoh says, get out of here, no more of you. And, and so Moses begins to lead the people out, but Pharaoh has a change of heart. And pretty soon you see the dust on the horizon as the, as the chariots uh, uh, Pharaoh's men began to chase him down, and now they stand between Pharaoh's men and uh, the Red Sea. And again, Moses with his staff takes it up and holds it, and the seas part until the Israelites begin to cross, and they're saved. And the stories could go on and on about how God provided for them in the, in the wilderness and how God gave them the Ten Commandments, that this is Moses. And this is the man that is standing there speaking with Jesus in his transfigured state. And then there is Elijah. And I, and I realize i got to not tell all these stories. But let me just tell my favorite one. All right, this is, this is Elijah. Now, if you're a little boy playing with action figures, this is a good one. Uh, Elijah, the only, prof, the only true prophet left in the land. There's a bunch of prophets to Baal. That's like the idol god. And, uh, and uh, Elijah says, hey, uh, prophets, let's find out who the real God is. Do you remember this story? Some of you may know this. Let's find out who the real God is. Let's set up a test. We'll make an altar and we'll put a dead, calf, a dead cow on it. And uh, you pray to your God and I'll pray to my God. And whoever sends down heaven, sends down fire from heaven to uh, burn up the sacrifice, that's the real God. And uh, so they do what uh, Elijah has suggested. It's a test. And, and uh, Elijah lets um, the um, prophets of Baal go first. He's a gentleman. And, uh, and they begin to pray, and they get really into it. I mean, they're dancing around, hooping and hollering, and pretty soon they got uh, shards of glass and pottery that they're cutting themselves with. And now in good uh, superhero form, uh, Elijah begins to mock them. Hey, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with your God? Maybe, maybe he's on vacation. Or maybe he's falling asleep. You need to yell louder. Cut yourselves more. And this is the best one. And, and it doesn't quite come out. This story is in 1 Kings 18. It's a good Sunday afternoon read. It's interesting. Uh, but read it. This one doesn't come. But then this is actually what he says. And this is my little Peter has a fun one with this. I'm sure he says, hey, maybe your God is going to the bathroom. That's actually what he says. And uh, so he's mocking him like this. 
And then, uh, and then it's all over, and uh, their, their turn's done, and Elijah uh, says, hey, just to make sure that there's no, uh, nothing uh, uh, fuzzy going on, let's douse the sacrifice with water until it's, until it's just soaked. And, a mo- and then Elijah prays, and fire comes down and licks up the water and burns the sacrifice. This is Moses. And this is Elijah. And they uh, come before the uh, presence of God and, uh, and, and they're discussing with uh, Jesus the things that are going to happen at the end. They're discussing the salvation of God that will be brought through, the, uh, through Jesus himself. And surely Jesus is strengthened by this. But let us make no mistake about it. This story is not for Jesus. This event is not for Jesus. This event is for the disciples because they have to know who Jesus is. They have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is and what kind of response they are to have to him. Jesus had just asked them a little while ago, who do people say you are? Who do people say I am? And he said, some say uh, John the Baptist and other Elijah, and some say uh, one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns to Peter, who's kind of like the spokesperson, and says, but who do you say I am? And Peter nails it. He says, uh, you are the Christ of God, the Messiah. In other words, you're the one that is sent from God to bring salvation to the world. And the same kind of uh, language is used here in verse 35. You see, I don't think the disciples quite yet got it. And so, G- so God is emphasizing who Jesus really is. Verse 35 says, And this is, my, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This is my son. This is the chosen one, the Messiah, Come to be the Savior of the world. Come to be the Lord of the, of the world. Listen to him. And so uh, this sounds a lot like Jesus' baptism when God's, God the Father said, This is my son, whom I, or you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But here Jesus isn't addressed. Here the disciples are addressed. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And so the point of the transfiguration is, th- is this. It is for revelation. This is my son whom I have chosen. And it is for respect. Listen to him. The point of the, resurrect- the uh, transfiguration is actually the most important thing that we can wrestle with in our own lives. Do we know who Jesus really is? That's the most important question that you could ever ask yourself. Do you know who Jesus really is? And what's your response to him? There are many who get Mixed up, kind of like the, the, the people in Jesus' day who were saying, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah. Many people today just think Jesus is a good teacher. And he thinks he's a good guy. 
A person that, hey, he set a good example. No, no, when what Jesus is being, what we have being revealed here is Jesus in all of his glory. This is no one to just kind of keep on the sidelines of our lives. What we have here revealed in the, uh, in the transfiguration is who Jesus really is. I want to make something very clear here this morning. The transfiguration is not a miracle, but it is a glimpse of who Jesus really is. You see, what, what, what the miracle was, when, was when Jesus took on human flesh and we didn't see him like he looked uh, for, for 33 years. Uh, we didn't see him in all of his glory. But make no doubt about it, this is who Jesus is. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the God of all creation. He is the one who reigns from heaven above today. The, the Jesus that we see in the tra- transfiguration is the Jesus who rules today in heaven. There is no veil over him. There is no, uh, the veil ha- that was lifted for a moment for Peter, James, and John. Is, uh, Jesus is, is, is in all of his glory. And one day he will come back again. And when he comes back on the clouds, he is described as coming as a flash of lightning with peals of thunder. He will come back in all of his glory. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, do we know that Jesus? Do we know the Jesus of power and holiness and beauty and glory? Or is Jesus kind of off to the side of our lives just as a nice little fixture here and there? Sometimes I think we, we think of Jesus as a, a good pet. He's always kind of there. He's nice to pat when we need a, a best friend. Brings comfort when we've had a hard day. No, Jesus is not your dog. Jesus is the Lord of glory. The most important question that you could ask yourself is, who is Jesus and what's your response to him? If you really believe that Jesus is God, then our only response to to him is to offer our lives to him. Jesus coming as the Messiah means that he is the Lord, that he demands to have our whole lives, for our lives to be uh, devoted to him. After Jesus, after the disciples had said, uh, some say that you are Elijah, John the Baptist, uh, but, but Peter says, we know that you are the Messiah. Here is Jesus' response. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his, to, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So in other words, the correct response to Jesus is to give them our whole lives. Not a piece of the pie, not a small portion, but to give them our whole lives. That's what the whole point of the transfiguration is about. Revelation and respect. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. It is a call for us to get right with the almighty God. To recognize who he is and to give our lives to him. So let me uh, put it to us in with three lessons, three lessons from the mountaintop. One, as God's chosen one, 
Jesus is to be listened to and obeyed. Today, if we accept him as our Savior, but then uh, we want to, but then we oftentimes want to dictate what we want him to do for us. That's not the Jesus of the Transfiguration. Jesus is to be listened to and obeyed. That's not lordship. That's, uh, that's something else, but that's not lordship. Jesus is to be in charge of our lives. Oftentimes we want all the benefits and the blessings, but not the sacrifice and the cost of discipleship. And so if you have said a prayer to ask Jesus into your life, let me ask you this. Do you now own him or does he own you? Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. Do you now own Jesus and tell him what to do? Or does he own you and he tells you what to do? And we need to think about this. If, if uh, as God's chosen son, Jesus is to be listened to and obeyed. Second lesson. Jesus wants all of you the worrisome and the wonderful things. Sometimes I think it's easy to give uh, Jesus the worrisome things, the things that bother us, the bad habits and the destructive uh, actions and the addictions and the sins and all the worrisome things. Those are the things that we have an easy time giving up to God. But what about the wonderful things? Would we let Jesus be in charge of our family? Would we let Jesus be in charge of our finances and of our careers of our kids, of the hobbies and the things that we love? Would we let Jesus be the Lord of not only the worrisome things, but the wonderful things? See, when I was studying this passage, I noticed that uh, as uh, Peter was saying his, his things, hey, it seems that it's good for us to be here. I like this. Let's just stay right here. Let's set up three shelters. One for you, Jesus. One for you, Moses. And one for you, Elijah. That's a wonderful thing in Peter's mind. Let's just stay right here and live right in this moment. And while the words were yet on his mouth, God's presence came down in a cloud. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I've got one son. Listen to him. He is to be above it all. When it comes to our lives, we, we are not to compartmentalize where it's Peter, or I, I mean it's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, or Jesus, family, career. No, Jesus is over it all. There is one shelter, and we, all, we live under his reign and his rule. I thought about bringing up the tent, the umbrella again, like I had at Fun Fest, and I uh, pin up all of these uh, things that I consider to be the wonderful things in my life. And maybe you remember that. But the point is that Jesus is to rule and reign over it all. The worrisome and the wonderful things. And for me, I've got so many wonderful things in my life. My family, I love them with all my heart, obviously. Uh, this church, I love this church. There's so much that God has blessed me with. Those are some of the, sometimes the hardest things to surrender to the Lord. 
Those are the things I want somehow to uh, keep, maintain my finger, my grip on a little bit to say, I want to be in charge of those things. And Jesus is saying, no, all of it. It is all to be His. And then the third lesson uh, from the mountaintop relates to that, and that is this. That surrender to Christ is the way to hope and joy. You know, I wish I could control certain areas of my life, but the call to Christ is surrender, to surrender control to Him. And surrendering to control to God is hard, but man, it's so good. And so we need to redefine surrender as Jesus did, not as losing our life, but as gaining it. And we can think about this just in a logical way as well. Who could guide and lead your life better than Jesus could? Who would be better at leading your family, yourself or Jesus? Who could manage your finances and your hobbies and your career and all of these? See, when we really step back and think, of it, think about it, we have so little control over so much. To be, to be able to surrender it all to the Lord is the path of hope and joy that it no longer rests upon our shoulders, but it belongs to Jesus. Now, I know this is, all of this is hard today. And, uh, and I know I've, I've, I've tried to present it with a lot of passion because I think the transfiguration is a story of passion. Like, this is a wonderful scene. Uh, it's a glorious passage, and we get a a glimpse of the greatness of Jesus. But this idea of surrender is hard. And maybe you are here this morning and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. And uh, maybe you are here this morning and you have been a Christian for a long time and yet it's still a process of surrender. This is my second application question this morning. The first was this, that if you were to see Jesus in all his glory, how would, you, uh, how would your life change? And the second is this, what are you holding on to and unable to surrender to God? Think about that, talk about that question with someone this week. What are you holding on to and are unable to surrender to God? Uh, there are, the, uh, for those of you who are here and you have never received Christ, is there something that keeps you from doing that? For those of you that are here and have been Christians for a long time, are there things that are hard for you to surrender right now? But know that when we do surrender, that is the path, that is the way to hope, and joy. We've entitled this sermon series out of Luke, New Hope and New Joy. And, my, and I think that as we look at the transfiguration, we recognize that it is in light of Jesus' glory that we are able to receive hope because He is glorious and He is able to handle it all. And we are able to receive joy because we no longer have to carry the weight of all of the worrisome and the wonderful things in our life because He will do that for you because He loves you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You and we thank You for who You are.
We thank you that Jesus really is the God of glory. And today on this Transfiguration Sunday, oh boy, God, it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing for our imaginations to begin to try to imagine what uh, Peter, James, and John saw as they saw Jesus with Elijah and with Moses. And God, my prayer is that in the busyness of all of our lives, and the worries and the wonderful things, that you would give us a glimpse of who you are. We know that right now you reign in heaven, and yet we oftentimes are veiled to see your glory because we are here on earth in earthly bodies. But God, we know that you can reveal yourself to us. And so we pray that you would do it. I pray for anyone here right now that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord. God, I pray that you would help them to be able to surrender their lives to you. That's, that would be wonderful for them. That is the path of hope and joy. And God, for all of us who know you as, your, uh, know you as our Savior and Lord, God, may we live in full surrender of you. And God, may you lighten our hearts and our spirits and, and our whole lives as we just trust in you. And just as we are amazed to watch a lightning show in the sky, God, I pray that we would be amazed to watch what you might do in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.